Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Paso Robles has long been looked at as an area of value wine production. That's not to say that at least some of these wines aren't of great quality. In fact, one of the most intriguing wines I tasted this year comes from Hope Family Wines, located in Paso Robles. I met with winemaker Austin Hope to talk about Paso, his collaboration with celebrity chef Tim Love on a new rosé project, and to taste a spectacular white Rhone blend called Triana Blanc, as well as others, in this episode of The Honest Pour. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Leonard. Joining me today is Austin Hope of the Austin Hope Collection. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So what is the Austin Hope Collection? Well, the Austin Hope Collection is, a, I guess it would be a, a life a life work is what it is. It's a, We started in 1978. My family moved to Paso Robles. And just to give you a little landscape, in 1978, there was about Mm, three or four wineries and yeah, Paso less, was kind of the frontier land then, wasn't oh, it? Absolutely, there was nothing, nothing going on, and less than a thousand acres of grapes. And if you fast forward to today, there's I think 240 or 250 bonded wineries in Paso, wow. and around 40,000 acres of grapes now. So we came to town and was uh, very much a uh, uh, grain, you know, dryland farming was a big thing, cattle. Uh, so we were definitely outsiders when we came. Nobody really liked having, having vineyards being planted. But we believed in uh, what we were doing and stuck with it. And we um, carried on for about, oh, I guess it was probably in the late 80s, uh, just growing grapes and selling our fruit. No, it didn't start out just grapes, though, right? Your family started out We actually grapes. planted apples, too, The very when we first got there. we uh, A friend of my grandfather that had passed away, we lived in Bakersfield, so that's where we came from. And he uh, he says, go to the Cub. My dad asked him, what should I do? And he said, go to Paso and plant apples and grapes. And so we did, but we got there and quickly learned that apples was, was not the right place. Uh, or Paso was well, not the right place for apples. Was your father a farmer prior to that? or He wasn't, but uh, I mean, no, not really. My grandfather was. He, he, he farmed uh, as well as he was also in the beer business in Bakersfield. And he was actually one of the... The immigrants uh, the, from Texas that came in the Dust Bowl and came over with his friend and started uh, hustling, actually selling wine, and then he later became a beer distributor. Uh, bought a bought one of the trucks that was distributing Falstaff and, and those beers, and and kept going every year to to Colorado, knocking on Adolph's door and saying, "We need Coors here in California." And after many many years, he finally got Coors to give him distribution rights from uh, Bakersfield to Barstow and. Away he went, and you know, back then, uh, distribution wasn't like it was today. I mean, it wasn't you know, big money and you know, tons of the scenarios as they are today. But he, um, when he passed, my my dad was pretty young, and, and the business was sold to uh, to uh, the general manager. And so I joke about how we got into this industry. We get, got into the wine industry. We got into the old-fashioned way. We didn't have any money. So <laughs> my grandmother was uh, gracious enough to to sign a $200,000 bank loan. And that's what we did. Went and bought a piece of ground, planted the apples and the grapes, and quickly learned, like I said, the apples weren't right. So we moved on from that and uh, just, you know, but we go back to the days where, you know, white zen. I mean, you know, we were growing white zen, and I tell a funny story about my dad. 
you know, coming full circle, you know, I remember as a kid, because I've, I've worked in the vineyards my whole life, he uh, will be down at the coffee shop bragging, you know, how many tons of the acres you get, you know, and they'd be down there and said, oh man, I got 13 tons of the acre this year <laughs> of white <laughs> Zinfandel. 13 right? tons. That, that was the, that was the, and you know, we were getting $100 a ton. I mean, so we, you know, maybe 200 on a good, good year. And, um, but then it moved into red grapes was the sustainable thing to be doing. And we knew that, um, so when your when your dad came in initially, he planted Zinfandel, huh? We so had we, we had everything. We had a, we had Chardonnay, we had Zinfandel, which went to White Zin, sure, and Chardonnay, uh, Merlot, you know, and then realized that you know the red varieties are what's really thriving here, and then we got out of those some of those vineyards and, and started planting just Cabernet and really focused on Cabernet, and that's where we took the next step and of really you know, putting the flag and developing the region. My father was one of the founding members of the uh, Pastoral's Wine Alliance, which is a, you know, still thriving today, the, uh, an organization that's made up of growers and wineries, which is, is very, very few and far between anymore because there's typically, a, you know, issues between, but we've been able to keep it all together where everybody sees the common goal, promote Paso. That's the, that's the key, you know. How many acres do you guys own? We actually own now, we only own 70 acres of grapes. We've got uh, several leases and we've got about 60 families that farm for us. Oh, wow. And long-term sustainable contracts where, you know, we, they do what we want, how we want it, and it works out good for us. We had to, unfortunately, at one point we were uh, one of the largest, uh, we were the largest Cabernet farmer in the Central Coast. And as I drug the family into the wine business, we had to... Uh, sell vineyards to afford to pay for tanks for barrels for buildings and and um, in hindsight you know now I, I'm fine with it back then I was a little upset that we had to sell the vineyards but as we've learned so much about the area you know the the, the appellation which I was one of the help people to help create the appellate uh, create the sub appellations my father was one of the people that helped create the appellation of Paso but as uh, time went on I started we started seeing how different areas and if the one key word you want to take away from Paso I would say is um, is diversity so the climate and the soils are so unique there within the ABA we've now officially the TTB approved um, have 11 sub ABAs within Paso within Paso and myself and uh, Justin Smith from uh, Saxon winery grew up in the area and, and we started talking about creating sub ABA because we were focused on some rones that we started planting in this particular part in western western Paso Robles and we believe that it was a very distinct area and so we started uh, we hired a guy that make the sub ABA well people caught wind of it and started getting upset and turning this big controversy and then finally it all dust settled and everybody like agreed okay let's all get together I want my AVA. I want my AVA. I want my AVA. Exactly. And then, you know, we wanted it to be done professionally because ours was being done professionally. And so then it branched out into a, an actual organization was created and everybody paid into that. And then we, we all did it scientifically. I mean, so that's, it's, it's, I think one of the most, you know, one of the, one of the better uh, sub AVA maps that's been done. It's, um, yeah. When you think about some AVAs, like, you know, Unfortunately, Napa was done in the early days of it. You think about Calistoga and what Calistoga is. Calistoga can't be an AVA. It's like five different things that have come together. Exactly. Not that the wines don't come from there. are beautiful and distinctive no, and everything. But no, sure. there's really like five different places that come together right there. It's great to be able to 
go about it scientifically and slowly and have having found out about it over over years to decide hey look this is really what this parcel of land speaks to and that speaks to something else exactly uh, wh- what is your sub via called so my the one I live on my our estate vineyard is the Tippleton Gap district the, the unique part about the diversity as I was getting at is there's a we can grow Cabernet that tastes like right bank Cabernet we can grow Cabernet that tastes like left bank Cabernet we can grow Syrah in certain appellations that uh, taste like Shiraz, you know, that bright bubblegum type Syrah. And then we can grow Syrah in particular in the Temple and Gap district where it tastes more like Northern Rhone. So it's, it's uh, more structured, uh, more, more tannin to it, more acidity. Um, more of that smoked meat characteristic, violets, that kind of a thing. And is that where Saxon is too? They're just right next to it. Um, it's a fancy neighborhood. It is a fancy neighborhood. <laughs> and that one's called the Willow, Willow, Willow Creek District. And those two are very similar. Um, uh, they're not a huge difference, uh, a little bit higher elevation in some of their parts, but not, not that much. But, um, so, but, the, but it, is, it is a little bit warmer in the one right next to it, where mine uh, that I sit in, the Tippleton Gap District, is the coldest uh, sub-ABA within Paso. Oh, that's actually nice. It is. It's really interesting because there's a, there's a, cut, a big cut in the mountain, in the San Lucia mountain range, and we, that's what, where the name came from, Templeton Gap. It was a gap that kind of came through this uh, Highway 46 West that goes to the ocean. Because where we're situated, we're only um, you know 15 miles from the ocean, 20 miles from the ocean. And in this cut, um, the heat from the inland would pull marine air every day in the growing season, and therefore... We would, we would cool off. And to give an example of another sub-ABA that's close, so it would be it would be Templeton Gap, then it would go Willow Creek, and then there's Adelaide District. And the Adelaide District is isolated from this gap, so it doesn't get the, the cooling effect that we get. So their growing degree days are much higher than ours, and they're hotter, and but they're closer to the ocean. So if you tasted an Austin Hope Syrah, from Templeton Gap District, it's like I said, it's gonna need more of that cooler. Now, if you go out, and it's only maybe six miles as a bird flies to um, Tablas Creek, which is a partnership between the Perrin family from Bocastel and Robert Haas, the importer, they chose that site because of the because of the temperatures, because of the soils. So that little distance between five and six, seven miles is uh, we've got twenty-one inches of rain. They've got almost thirty inches of rain. Wow! Uh, they're completely different soils, and they're hotter. So their Syrahs alone are going to be more of that baked character like Chateau de Pop is. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that these little areas, so in bringing it all back, for us, now that we have all these families, we know where great Cabernet grows. We know the soils. So I've spent my whole life doing this, and, and we know exactly where they are, and we've pinpointed them. And that's how we've been able to grow our brands and, and continue to be higher quality wines and, and, and grow to scale. For, you know, for example, the Liberty School brand we have, you know, that brand has grown over the years um, to a quite large brand, but we've been able to make better wine every year, and it's it's one of my most proud wines because it's, it's a brand that's 200,000 cases worldwide, and it's a $14, $16 bottle of Cabernet that drinks like a $20 or $30 bottle of Cabernet. You know, and we're continuing to get praise for it, and, you know, some people will say, well, it's a big brand. You know, I don't want a big brand. I'm like, why do you, you know? It's a big brand because people like it. That's why, right. why it's grown. Sure. You know? So, so we're really proud of that. So let's go back 1978. I mean, you're a little kid. 1978. Your dad buys this land, and you move to Paso. And what was it about? What was it about 
living in a vineyard that turned you on? What 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 got you into the wine business? Well, I was a I'm a, was a pretty hyper kid. I uh, never really sat still, so I was constantly doing something, constantly in something. I loved to be outdoors. wasn't a big fan of school. Uh, actually, got pulled out of school at one point uh, when I was young. My so my career in vineyard started very young because my dad would get tired of me, so he'd be like, "Go go work in the vineyard. Go 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 hoe weeds." And he actually. One of the other brands we have is called Troublemaker, and it's a red blend. <laughs> and that was my nickname as a child because I was always in trouble in school. And one year he says, you know, I'm tired of you getting your name on the board. And if you get your name on the board one more time, I'm going to take you out of school. Let's put you to the vineyard because I'm tired of, tired of whipping your ass, okay? I'm just tired of it. And I said, okay. And I got my name on the board again. And I didn't do anything bad. I just was too hyper, you know. I was, yeah. I was probably ADHD at the time, and nobody knew that kind of stuff back then. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so... He put me in the vineyard, and I worked for a week. And I'm thinking, I said, "Man, this is a this is a good deal. I've got to." I really wanted a dirt bike. I wanted a YZ80 Yamaha <laughs> dirt bike, and they were nine hundred ninety nine dollars. And I I was making like two fifty an hour, and I'm working alongside of all the guys in the vineyard. So a week goes by, my dad says, "Ready to go back to school?" He was thinking he's going to break me, if, you know. And I'm like, "No, this is good stuff. I got this figured out." He says, "And I said, by the time summer hits, I'm going to have enough money to buy that dirt bike." And He's like, oh man, this isn't this isn't this isn't working. So <laughs> he went to his brother, which had just had come into the business, and one of my mentors too. I looked up to, and he said, you got to go talk to him. This little this little guy's not he's not going to go back to school. And, and so he says, and I says, I can't tell him. Then it would be bad, you know. I, I'll lose. And so <laughs> he went and uh, you know the second week, and he says, you got to go back to school, you little idiot. And I was like, you know, I was intimidated by like, well, okay, I'll go back. So went back to school, but. So I was in fourth grade though, so I was pretty young. So that was, um, you know, they'd probably probably get in big trouble these days. Yeah, the right. Child labor laws, <laughs> but it just you know it kind of transcended into that. I was always in the vineyards. I was intrigued by it. Uh, my family then started a little tasting room, I think in 1987, and it was called Hope Hope uh, Hope Farms Winery, and nobody in the family made wine. It was was um, it was put out there. So you guys were growing. You just weren't making. We were it growing it, and then we he, my dad and uh, and uncle went to a bunch of the neighbors and said, "Hey, I'm gonna build a bed and breakfast in a tasting room. You guys want to partner in on it?" And so there was actually a lot of the local wineries. Actually, they bought in. He raised the money, and they built these buildings, and and then the winemakers that bought in uh, made the wine. So, but you know, it wasn't sophisticated at the time. We were. You know, you'd had our whites in, we had our muscat, we had our cab, you know, and selling it to the people that were driving by going to see Hearst Castle. And so I really got into it then. I was like, you know, following people around and wanted to learn more about wine. And then a few years goes by and my uncle had started putting a bulk wine Cabernet on the market to try and do better. Because back in the day, you know, we didn't we didn't make that much money. It was, uh, you know, Cabernet was, you were getting 800 bucks a ton for Cabernet. You were doing really good, you know, but it was more like four or five, six hundred. So... You could, if you made a good enough wine or had it made and sold on the bulk market, you could, you know, maybe make a couple extra bucks doing it that way. And um, Chuck Wagner, which uh, his family, uh, his father Charlie, started Liberty School in '75 as a truly a second label of Camus. And as Camus grew, there was no more grapes for Liberty School, and so it went away. Then it was a, you know, offshore brand where they bought wine from all yeah. the world, and it kind of had this ups and downs in its life cycle and it was about, I think it was 88, 89, something like that. Chuck was, uh, Wagner was, was saying, well, you know, maybe I'll bring this back out. And so that's how we met, my family met. He bought some bulk wine from us and then our relationship grew and the family 
we became family friends and we'd go on a on a pheasant hunting trip every year to Mexico and just kind of grew and then I started working for Chuck because I was you know fully engaged at this point wanting, wanting to be into wine and see it and you know it was very fortunate that he allowed me to see what I saw which was everything he I moved to Napa and I one day I'm doing pump overs and crushing grapes the next day I'm in I'm in Monterey because he was developing Mersolet Vineyard I'm working on that and and then I one day I'm with one of their salespeople. Then one day I'm with their their general manager. Then one day I'm with their marketing person. So I got to see the whole inner workings of a winery from the from the big business side too. From the backside, you know. And, and this was back in the day when you know Camus was still really growing and uh, becoming who they are today. You know, is is, is one of the, the, the most iconic cabernets yeah. in the world. It uh, on a, on a trip in Mexico hunting pheasant. We were all sitting around and and I'm still young and my uncle was. Um, and to push it and we started talking about things and he says well you know maybe we should take over liberty school because he was really at the time focusing on the on special selection and that's you know when it's wine of the world and it, yeah. everything was just really going and and chuck's like this you know i think it'd be good you know and we moved to paso give it a, a home a sense of place and and we were already kind of making the wine in paso and we were already bottling the wine in paso for him and so it was just a natural progression so we we took that brand over in 95 and started talking about creating this company called Triana to try and really be the first kind of iconic Cabernet blend in Paso. And well, my uncle passed away in 96 when he was supposed to spearhead the wine business. My father didn't really want to be in the wine business. And um, so they came to me and you know, the day before we really launched, <clears throat> launched everything and they said, can you do this? And my dad says, I'm not gonna do it, can you do it? And Chuck said, can you do it? And, you know, I said, you know, luckily you're, you're, uh, I guess, what are they, young, young and dumb and naive, yeah, you know? Yeah, and, right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I, um, so it was my arrogance of youth. Yeah, that's a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah, it is. So I took, took, took the challenge and jumped in and, and took a guy named Jesse that works, still works for us today. He was, I was a hoe and wheeze next to when I was in fourth grade next to him. And <laughs> I said, come on, you're gonna learn to make wine. And we, uh, and then I went and hired a sales guy and uh, out of Texas and said, let's go. And one of the roads started making wine and that was in uh, 96 and it was, uh, we made, I think eight, 9,000 cases of Liberty School and, and a few thousand cases of Triana and went to town and so now we're the whole Austin Hope collection to get back to it is you know there's five five brands underneath it and uh, you know we're, we'll sell 300 something thousand cases worldwide and what are the five brands so we've got and we know Triana Triana and we know Liberty School Liberty School and I have um, the Troublemaker brand which is a red blend uh, which is actually amazingly doing it's just it's such a good wine but it's growing so fast it's unbelievable people are really liking these it's a blends. blend what kind of blend is it it's a, a, a blend? very untraditional it's a it's uh, starts out Rome and then uh, Syrah, Grenache, Movedra, uh, then throw in Petite Syrah, a non-Rome varietal, and then uh, and then a dollop of uh, Zinfandel. <laughs> so it's just a very full-bodied, rich uh, red blend. Uniquely Paso. Yes, it is uniquely Paso because we do grow so many great reds down yeah. there. Yeah. So that's that's the that's four four. And I've also got uh, another brand called Candor that's uh, just focused on Zinfandel. And then um, we've new net just added uh, the Love and Hope Rosé as well. What is Love and Hope Rosé? So Love and Hope Rosé is 
a, a collaboration between a celebrity chef Tim Love out of uh, Fort Worth. He's a uh, He's actually on a, he's got a television show right now on MSNBC with, a, I think it's called Restaurant Startup or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And him and I have been friends for a long time. And That's a Texas tie-in, huh? It's a Texas tie-in. Uh, there's definitely a Texas tie-in. I've spent a ton of time. I, I, one of my first first markets that I was working with was, was Texas in 96. And been going there for 20 years. Um, loved it. Spent a lot of time in Austin. Ended up marrying a woman from Austin. Um, and it's... My second home, we actually own a home there, and, and um, it's uh, we go back and forth there. And I, I've always loved the people the way they are, and I think you know I'm probably raised that way. It's probably in my blood that uh, this, uh, that whole kind of southern feel, how people are. And so Tim and I know for each other for a long time. And, and if you fast forward into today, we, you know, during the during the season, we're doing the food and wine events, you know, and he's doing demos, and I'm doing you know talks and. And after the festivals were done, we always finish and, you know, grab a bottle of rosé and drink a bottle of rosé. And um, we've loved, we both love rosés, but, you know, we're, we're always drinking French ones because they're the only ones that are really doing it properly in, sure. our, in our mind. And one day, uh, we, we actually have the same uh, publicist, which is funny enough, out of New York, uh, Philip Baltz. And he, uh, he says to us one day after a festival, he goes, you know what, I hate you guys. I'm like, wow, man, Philip, what did we do? <laughs> you know, I thought we did really well today. You know, we, we didn't drink too much. We didn't say any bad. We only, we only cussed one time on the panels, and we did good. Because that's he always limits us to how many times we can cuss. He says you can only say two two bad words in each one of your things. All right, all right, all right. He's a big, tall guy, and he says, you know, he says, I hate you because look at you. You both got beautiful heads of hair. Your last name's Hope. Your last name's Love. I'm bald, and, and my last name is Baltz. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, Jesus, why don't you guys do something together? Your names are just too good. And so we were laughing. And I said, we will someday. We will. So as we walked off after the festival, we grabbed our, our rosé like normal. And I looked at Tim and I said, you know what? Why don't we make a badass rosé, Tim? And he goes, hell yeah. And so that's how it started. And uh, so it was, a, a you know, something that we believed in and, and knew how to do. And and so we collaborated. I sent him a few different blends. What do you think? He says, yeah, I like that. I like that. And so the end result is it's um, 12, 12% roughly alcohol. It's low in alcohol. It's um, a light in color. It's dry. It's crisp, which is how, how rosés are supposed to be. So so it's um, then we've done a kind of a non-traditional package. You know, we've... Um, it's we we did. Uh, there's three different labels that it, that it comes under. So it's the same wine, same just has wine, three different just labels. Three different labels because we're just having some fun with it. And it's um, the labels are, are from uh, wartime propaganda. You know, when all the men were were away at war and the women were all holding the fort down at work, doing the work at home. And it was, they made all these different posters that kind of you know tried to keep everybody encouraged about things. And so we just thought it was a good tie. Like you know, I mean, there was love and hope and. And it goes, I think, even, you know, our hashtag is a hashtag summer of love and hope. So, you know. So how many vintages are in our area? This is our second one. Well, you timed it perfectly because rosé is just, it's not even summer anymore of rosé. It's rosé all year round you know, now. It, I'm glad you say that because I agree totally. And, and, and I, sometimes we, we'll get a little pushback with the people like, well, you know, we, we only do in the spring and summer. I'm like, everywhere I go in the world, there is a rosé on the list year round. And Absolutely people are drinking right. it year round. And it's it's and people are ordering it year round now. It it wasn't for a while, and you know, summer rosé was a big thing. It still is. It's a great summertime drink. Yeah, but it's so perfect with food. So what's the blend? So the blend is a uh, it's predominantly Rhone. It's a uh, you know Syrah, Grenache, Mobedra, but we have some other other things we throw in there that it comes from uh you know what they call bleeding off or the French call a saignée. Yeah, saignée, yeah. Uh, 
and it's uh, you know like it's got that nice pale color. Yeah, it's, like you know, it's almost like a salmon, yep. slightly more orange. That, that was our goal is to, is to come up with a um, a salmon. You said exactly right. So this is 2015. Oh yeah, bone dry. It's not super fruity. No, no, it's it's got nice more about kind of earth and spices. Wow, that's nice. What were you going for when you made it? That basically what's in the glass. Where we're going for lower in alcohol, so you can drink a whole bottle yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a beautiful thing about rosé. You get and, a bottle. You know, it's something that that just is is to be be drunk easily without overthinking it. It's uh, you know I wanted it light across your palate. I don't want it heavy. You know, too many American rosés are high in alcohol, dark in color. You know, and have residual sugar, and it's like this. Not the way they are. These oh. wines are supposed to be and have very acidity is a, is a huge Well, the acid part. just keeps the acid, and right. there's great minerality behind it too. It just that's, keeps sort of going. That's the point. Yeah. So it it, it, it took off uh, so fast that we were in uh, Colorado last year at the Aspen Food and Wine and ran into um, you know all the buyers are there and uh, and Kroger pinned me down and and Tim down and says we want this we want this I'm like okay okay we'll give it to you and they said no we want it exclusively and I said oh man <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of people mad if I do that and they said just give me a year just give me a year and so so we gave uh, so all Kroger so this is in all Kroger banners uh, nationwide every store do they have it exclusive, Kroger? For one year, yeah. This wine, it's, it's it's definitely, this is all about structure. Yeah. This wine, it's not about like flashy fruit or... Right. It's just, it's all about structure and body. It's really great. And you can you can purchase it from, from us. You can go to the website, Love and Hope. Yeah, and it's, it's terrific. Uh, it's, you can buy it from the website if you can't find it, because distribution is tough to, you know, sometimes to try and find these things, but it's uh, it's definitely available. What do you got next? So our next wine is a wine that's been a passion and project of mine for 20 years. <laughs> it's uh, this is Triana Blanc, and just to give you a little backstory, I started this vintage, this wine in 1996, and it was called Triana White. So some people might know it as Triana White, and it was started because I was in the Rhone and I loved Rhones, and I came back and I was working at. Uh, getting things going and where, where I was headed in the, for the future and Chuck Wagner was planting the Marisolet Vineyard and he had asked me he says you want to plant your Rhones up here and I said love to he says let's uh, I, you know while I was in France I was tasting the, the, Rhone, the Rhone Weiss and I just fell in love with, with a lot of the Hermitages and, and then I was I was uh, fortunate enough to be um, at Bocastel and taste that Vivine the, the old vine Roussan they make and I just thought the all oh, was outstanding and my idea was to blend three, three varietals, uh, Viognier, Marsan, and, and Roussan. So Chuck says, well, I'll plant these for you on the Marisolet Vineyard. So we planted them. I come to harvest and make our first vintage in 96. We had, uh, looking at the, at the vines, and we're like, man, these just don't, these look the same, as, uh, the Viognier and the Roussan. And growing up, that was the thing we would, we would do is, is, you know, drive 60 miles an hour down a road and, and try and identify a grape variety just by the leaf because every leaf has a different shape sure. and different look. And so we were good at it, you know, and I, and I we looked up looking at him, man. So we called John Alban, which was, you know, at the time the foremost expert in California on roans. And he came up and he says, what do you think, John? And he says, what do you want to know? And I said, these kind of look the same. He says, they are the same. They're both Viognier. And I said, oh, no, you know. And so we ran a DNA test and and sure enough, it was. We ended up only having. So you had a whole lot of Viognier. Had a whole lot of Viognier, no Roussan. 
So the blend was made is was uh, Rousson uh, or uh, excuse me Marsan and Viognier, and it was like that until until the 2014 vintage. And I, I we subsequently planted uh, Rousson back up there, but I could just never get it right. So I never introduced it back into the blend. I finally realized that well let's probably plant it somewhere else. So we planted it on our state vineyard in Paso, and it should have hit me a long time ago. I don't know why, but if you think about it, I mean, where the great Roussan has grown, and in particular, uh, Chateau Bocastel in, in the Chateau de Pop region, it's uh, it's warm down there. So we planted on our estate, Paso, which is warmer there. And the first vintage, I was like, whoa. And then the second vintage, I'm like, okay, now we got something. So I finally introduced it and brought it into the the blend, and, and we came out with Triana Blanc. So you changed the name when the blend changed. Yep. You changed now the blend. Triana Blanc, and it's uh, you know, it added a whole another level to this. It's got point. a really vibrant color, super yellow and green, and really alive. Yes, it is. It's pretty wine, and it's uh, the interesting fact about this wine too is we're still drinking 1996 today. Are you really? Yeah. So it's aging it's beautifully, solid. huh? Solid. It's still solid. So subtle, subtle on the nose. But very elegant. It's kind of like demure, I think, is the yes. right word. Wow, is that pretty? If I were to blind that, I certainly wouldn't think it came out of California. No. That's, thank you. I mean, <laughs> it, it, I mean California is great for what it is, but I'll tell you, it's, it starts with that tree fruit, but man, it gets right into the minerality and acidity. And the acidity is nice. You know, sometimes you think Marsan Rusambia and it could be a little. Flabby. Round, yeah, flabby. A little round and flabby. Yeah. Um, how you get, where are you getting that acidity? Monterey, where, majority, where a lot of this comes from, it's such a cold region. and uh, Oh, you're getting fruit all the way from Monterey? Yeah, so, so oh, from Mercedes, Vineyard, Soleil, uh-huh, yeah. and San Lucia Highlands, Appalachian, and it uh, has extremely high acidities up there on the wines. I mean, very striking. And we don't go all the way through malolactic. So we still have some acid from that. Mm. And then just the wines are, it's just a very balanced, you know, I mean, this, and, and to me, I think all wines, I mean, that's it's such an important factor with wines is having the acidity because that's what, you know, it cleans that palate off, right? I mean, it doesn't leave it cloying or right, flabby right. or heavy. Um, the wine is, is it, tons of richness, but, and you can have as much richness as you want in a wine, but if it doesn't have the acidity to, you know, let it sail off into the sunset, if you will, it's uh, typically doesn't work. Uh, that's really beautiful wine. I mean, that's, Thank you. That's delicious. Finally, we have what else? So this is our Triana Red, which is, like I said, this is you know, really the first, you know, when, we, when we released this wine, they made this wine, and, and you know, 1996 is our first vintage, and we just celebrated our 20th anniversary, which is hard to believe, but <laughs> it's, uh, it was uh, looked upon as uh, pretty interesting. We maybe do things a little backwards sometimes or fight we're like I said joke and say sometimes we're like the we're like the salmon going the other way everybody's going up and we're going down so I mean it's <laughs> it's a uh, you know we, we, we made a, a red blend and we called red table wine in 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 the first for the first vintage in 96 and we released that wine it's you know it's 35 bucks from Paso Royal Blaze and not everybody knew where Paso even yeah. heard of it 35 bucks in 96 for a Paso was red table eyeballs wine. are rolling their eyes and a red table yeah. wine so it was it was just, it was a tough thing but we got uh, critically we, we were judged very quickly that it was uh, you know great wine and we went to the marketplace told the story and people got behind it and you know, you fast forward to today, and you know everything coming out of Napa Valley is two hundred dollars, and it's a red, red, red table wine. You know, so not uncommon, right? No, and then and the idea was we knew we grew Cabernet well. You know, we first started it was multiple varieties in there, and then we've later pared it down to it's you know seventy five percent Cab, 
uh, 25% Syrah. And it's just, uh, you know, Cabernet does so well down there, but having that addition of Syrah just adds a whole nother level. It adds a, you know, Syrah can, or excuse me, Cabernet can be a kind of a front-loaded wine, if you will, where it's, you know, got a lot of stuff going on, then it's tannic, and then it kind of comes off of the finish. But Syrah is a, has a tremendous amount of mid-palate. And so when you introduce that with Cabernet, it just makes this round, big, lush wine. And I feel like it hits on your whole palate all the way through. There's no, 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 no beat where you're missing. So we really were the, the people that, you know, the family helped create, create, the, create the name of, of Paso. And, and then we've, you know, we later created an iconic wine. We was like, you know what, we can make these kind of wines. Why can't, uh, you know, Napa Valley's doing it and we can do it too. And so that, that was the goal. And so we're proud to say now you look back at, at, at Paso and, and there's a, there's a lot of great, you know, luxury, luxury brands like this sure. that, that have followed in the footsteps. So it's pretty exciting to be able to say that we were one of the first. Well, this, uh, that's a big boy. Just looking at it, it's inky <laughs> and dark and, but bright still. Well, yeah, it's definitely Cabernet on the nose, huh? Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. a thing you'll see in this as well is that the tannin structure is just uh, really beautiful. They're fine tannins. They're not. Very they're fine. not that grippy. No. Rip your head off. Exactly. And I see what you're saying about the uh, the Syrah and the mid palate. It doesn't dip it's down or go flabby or come back. It's it's a very consistent wine throughout the entire. Uh, we, you know, I've, I've spent probably my my the biggest thing I've spent my career learning and understanding and, and fixated on is tannins. Um, you know, there's it's so it was overlooked for so long, but it, you know. Through technology, we've been able to really understand them from testing the, the tannin levels in the grapes, in the wine, through before barrels, after barrels, maturity of how we how we do pump overs, how long we leave them on skins. Um, all these things affect your tannins and how they feel. And what I've, we've we've accomplished is we've got this, like you, you said, it's a fine grainy long tannin. It's not just in the front, it's not in the back, not in the side. It's all the way through, and I call it a, a, it's almost got a, I don't know if it's a real real word, but placking sensation. It just goes across your palate, and, and you can feel the weight all the way from the palate. And, you know, that was a big thing for me. I mean, is, 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 is the weight of a wine is, it can be dictated three ways. One is um, the easiest way is alcohol, and that's why you've seen wines come up in alcohol for multiple reasons. But, but one is, is for the weight factor, to give more richness to it and more fruit, you know, more, more ripe, riper fruit. And the tannins actually get riper, you know, as, and that's the reason we're doing that. But if you take like, um, speaking of alcohol, if you take like vodka and you pour it in a glass, just room temperature, and take a little sip and put it on your palate, you'll feel how heavy it is, because mm-hmm. alcohol is heavy by volume. And the next thing that been, has been done for these weighty kind of things is sugar. So then, you, you know, you've seen some of these off-dry reds, and some people leave a little residual sugar in reds, and that'll create a sensation of weight as well, just like... The easy way to understand that is, you know, like maple syrup. You feel how heavy it is, right? Because sugar's heavy by volume. And the last thing, which is the hardest thing to do, is tannin. And that's what we spent so much time because tannin will give a perceived weightness as well. And so that's where you'll see in this wine, I think we've, 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 we've really got it figured out. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's plush, it's, it's soft, but it's still got these tannins that are, that are there. You can feel, um, you know, it's dry, but it's just, it's just got this richness and, and, and class about it that just feels so much different. It's big but it's not 
club you on the head. There's yeah. still balance and sensitivity to it. Well, Austin Hope from the Austin Hope Collection. Your wines are terrific. I think uh, they're, they're definitely um, breaking the mold and stereotype of what Paso wines are. There's a lot of finesse, and they're absolutely delicious, accessible, and really cool. So Thank you very um, much. Thanks very much for joining me, and no, I hope to come out to Paso and see you sometime. Got to get out there. It's a place to be. Thanks much. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.